Hello, and welcome to Sacred Herbalism, the full moon segment of the Elder Tree podcast, where we explore how plants can support us to enter into a sacred relationship with life and the living world. I'm Stephanie Hazel, and I've recorded this episode beneath the gaze of Epic Wollumbin, where I live in Bundjalung country, and I pay my respects to the First Nations people of this land as well as to the spirits and plants of this ancient earth. If you love what we do, you can support the Elder Tree mission of putting medicine in the hands of the people by joining our Patreon, where you can access special teachings from our presenters and our interviewees. So, let's walk into the moonlit forest together. Are you ready? Hello, dear listeners. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to the Elder Tree. This is my 12th episode, a whole year since we started. And this month, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm just going to review the conversation that we've had and explore what are the main themes that have been emerging in this numinous and difficult to describe topic of sacred herbalism. I feel so honored to have your attention and your presence on this journey and to be able to have these fascinating freewheeling conversations with so many wonderful people. I've been thinking about this podcast, this segment of the podcast, like a long, slow conversation. And there have been specific things that have emerged from this conversation that are really worth exploring more. And every single one of these chapters in this conversation, every person I've interviewed has really blown my mind, taught me new things, and I've loved interviewing them. I've chosen a small selection of interviews to weave into our episode today, really pulling out the common themes, threads that have emerged in this conversation. Perhaps a place to start is why even talk about the sacred? You know, isn't this meant to be a podcast about herbal medicine, about the future of herbalism as a profession in Australia? Well, you know, for me, the future of herbal medicine should include the sacred, a future that is rich and nuanced and varied and meaningful and on a path of growth and alignment with our own integrity as herbalists and integrity with our past, with our history, involves a conversation of the sacred and the sacred relationship that we can have with plants. In fact, the sacred relationship that plants enable us to have with life. That has definitely been a recurring theme in these interviews. Many people I've interviewed have spoken about the way that plants can help us to open ourselves to the sacredness that is already in all things. Most of my interview guests have agreed that the sacred is everywhere all the time, but what's required is a shift in perception to be able to tap into and access the constant sacredness around us. And there are two main ways that people have spoken about plants opening the doorway to the sacred. The first way is simply through their own ability to be incredibly present. When we slow down and we really take time to observe plants and to listen to them, then the way that plants themselves are constantly opening to the present moment can support us to open to the present moment as well. Twiggy spoke about this in her interview where she said that 
just being with plants in the garden supports her to engage with this openness to life. And the second way that many people have shared is the psychedelic and visionary plants. Now, I really don't think these are necessary for us to be able to step into sacred relationship with plants, but they are very powerful and clear ways for us to open those gateways. Even my interview with John Seed, who is considered a real elder in the deep ecology space of Australia, he shared on the interview with me that uh, actually magic mushrooms were an important part of his initial insights into deep ecology when he was blockading Terrania Creek rainforest. So why talk about sacred herbalism? Perhaps it seems childish or imaginary or unimportant in the scientifically driven world that we live in, but I really beg to differ. I already thought that sacred herbalism was important or I wouldn't have started this podcast, but every single conversation that I've had with really intelligent, complex and wise people in this space has reinforced for me the importance of the sacredness in the way that we work with plants and the way we conceptualize the future of herbal medicine. In fact, my own journey towards herbal medicine started with something akin to sacred and I wonder if yours did too. When I was a young girl, every time that I was in a wild place, whether that was the Daintree, the open ocean, the Swiss Alps, or even just an incredibly vibrant and tangled garden, something mysterious came awake in my heart. I was also an avid lover of historical fiction and fantasy novels. And whenever there was a herbalist or a healer in one of those books, you know, something inside me tingled with longing. That archetypal healer in fantasy always carried a deep wisdom that's grounded in her or his relationship with the world of plants and with the world of spirit. And these two worlds seem to be so often entangled. You know, they merged in dreams, visions, rituals and visionary plant experiences. And when I read these stories as a child, there was a depth of human experience that I could see, you know, a kind of depth that emerged in the overlap between nature, human and the sacred that seemed to be really absent from the world that I was growing up in. I did a deep ecology workshop with Sky Cialita Flor and John Seed, who are two people who I have interviewed on this podcast. I just did it last weekend, actually, and it was called Honouring Our Pain for the World. We did all these processes around grief and in Francis Weller's amazing work, um, The Wild Edge of Sorrow, one of the gates of grief that he talks about that Sky was sharing with me is the grief for the things I was born expecting but did not receive. And this feels so relevant to my experience as a herbalist. You know, there are all of these societal and relational infrastructural pieces that I was born expecting as a stone age child my body my DNA my bones my mind adapted to a very different era born into this modern era and I expected a world where we were taught how to live in relationship with life the rituals that allowed us to awaken to the sacred, that connected us and wove us in to our community, to our community of non-human beings and to our own deep selves, you know. And I feel this grief as a herbalist. There's a grief there for me 
that really came alive in my adolescence because I was reading these stories about these mystical healers that seemed to hold this incredible key to offer depth of human experience. But the world no longer seemed to be a place for healers and mystics. It seemed like the gears of industry and science had ground these people in these ways to dust. You know, this kind of wisdom was no longer needed. And still I knew that path was for me, that I was a herbalist, that I was a healer, but it felt like I'd been born into the wrong time. So I wonder if you relate to this, you know, in your pathway towards herbal medicine, whether you're a herbalist, a naturopath, a student, or just someone who loves working with plants, I'm sure there's some of that longing that has awakened in you that urged you to move towards that place. When we speak about sacred herbalism, we're often speaking about plants in a mythic language. And it's a mythic language that Jackie Bushell really brings alive in her work. Often what we do is, as herbalists, how we're taught is to, uh, to, to learn by rote particular things. So when we can step into the mystery of it, into the, 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 the mythic, the mythos of the plant, then there's a communion psyche to psyche mm. and heart to heart and we feel the pattern of it in our being. Mm. It, uh, it enables us to have a, uh, a spiritual understanding it enables us to connect with the, I'll just say maybe the bigger pattern of what it is mm-hmm. and what it offers in the world. Um, one of the things I often tell my students is, imagine what the world would be like if we didn't have mugwort. What would be missing if mm-hmm. mugwort didn't exist? What would what would not happen? What would exist if we didn't have wheat here? Or what what would be yeah. gone? And mm-hmm. that relationship that humanity has had with wheat over millennia. Unfortunately, we don't find this aspect of herbalism in our educational system. Even studying Western herbal medicine, there's so little about the history of herbal medicine in the West. There's so little about the history of relating with plants in a sacred way and that overlap between the healing arts, the herbalist arts and the arts of the mystic. Jimmy Wollumbin spoke really powerfully about this in my episode with him really early in this podcast life. Greece was not just a centre of rationalism, it was a centre of mysticism and deep wisdom. It really, really was. So was all of Europe. We have this sense of the Hippocratic tradition, which lays at the origin of all of our Western traditions, whichever way you go, naturopathy or brain surgery, as a hyper-rationalist and atheist tradition that was at odds with religion and that is a terrible terrible lie that was stitched during the 19th century and perpetuated through the 20th century because they were embarrassed about the the full breadth and the truth and they thought that it was spurious the stuff all the hippocratic wisdom that's speaking about the gods that's speaking about the sacred that is speaking in sacred terms with non-ordinary language that is taking place in temples, temple medicine, and they're guiding them down into dark room retreats after purifications of catharsis, cathartic, catharsis purifications, where they would dream and have visionary states and lie as though still. That was Hippocratic medicine. That was, that was mm-hmm. how... That was how Galen trained 600 years later, right? So the sacred yeah. 
has was always central to the Western tradition, but we told a story when it was claimed and appropriated by a cult of rationalism in its pushback against the church and then said, right, and mm. it pushed the pendulum swing the other way and then it said, no, we're taking Hippocrates and we'll just quietly ignore all the stuff that doesn't, you know, fit with our story, right? So in the late 1600s, we had something really tragic that happened in the West, powerful and meaningful in many ways, but really tragic for our in our, our mental health, our sacred spiritual health. We are the birth of rationalism. And rationalism was a response to a really dark time where church oppression was quite an awful thing. It was the end of the witch hunts. And um, rationalism was an attempt to liberate us from the dark ages of European history. And we had thinkers like Descartes who came forward and said, I think, therefore I am. And it was a rejection of everything that is non-rational and non-material. But we lost a lot in that time. We lost a lot as herbalists, absolutely. So during the birth of rationalism, we developed this model of the universe, of the earth and of the human body that was mechanical. Around that time was also the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. So we developed a model that said there is no magic, there is no spirit, there is no ghost inside the machine, there is just a machine and that everything in the natural world, natural universe, obeys not the dictates of God and spirit but the dictates of genetic predisposition, you know, that something's nature is just what drives its actions and there's a lot of power and richness in that statement but when we look at our bodies and we look at the living world as though it were a dead mechanical organism then we lose the possibility to be in relationship with it and we give birth to a kind of nihilism this human experience that says nothing means anything everything is pointless like no wonder we have a mental health crisis and then when we live inside that philosophy of a mechanical universe, we look around us at the earth and see just resources for the taking, or we see, um, you know, just beautiful accidents. Now, I'm pretty sure deep ecology has something to say about this. The term deep ecology was coined by the late Arnie Ness, uh, the professor of uh, philosophy at Oslo University, and um, According to Ness, uh, underlying all of the symptoms of the environmental crisis is the illusion of separation between human beings and the natural world. And this uh, illusion of separation itself is a result of anthropocentrism or human-centeredness, the idea that human beings are the centre of everything. Mm. So uh, we are the crown of creation. We are the measure of all being. The world consists of human beings on the one hand and resources on the other hand. Nothing has intrinsic value except humans. Everything else may have instrumental value if it's uh, a resource. That was John Seed, the grandfather of the deep ecology movement in Australia and an incredibly successful and passionate uh, environmental activist in Australia for more than 40 years now. And to see the world around us as simply made up of inert matter, to see ourselves as humans as the only beings that really matter, 
the only beings that have a consciousness or a mind capable of engaging and interacting with the world around us is a very lonely place to be. You really see this kind of thinking turning up in the way that we are taught to practice herbal medicine today in Australia and through much of the world. We are taught to think of plants as essentially carriers of particular bioconstituents. We are taught to look at those single chemicals and apply them to the body as though they were pharmaceuticals, to see disease and illness as a breakdown of mechanical processes. And we lose the richness that comes from being in relationship with the living world. Yeah, it's really profound. It's, it's a, um, a world-changing, um, paradigm-shifting experience to encounter a medicine from that. You know, like oh, we, I think so many of us, we, when we think of herbalism again, it's often like herbalism in our culture is often interchangeable in some ways with pharmacy you know it's like use this herb for this thing and that for that thing and you know and it's like someone who's skilled in herbalism is someone who's like memorized the materia medica and can you know whatever yeah, phytopharmacy you know phyto being plant the latin name for plant phytopharmacy is where you is, is is what we're taught you know and it's something that i i kind of resist because anyone can you, you could ask chat gtp what herbs do i use for bladder infection there's, oh. there's no seeing in that it's just no. a regurgitation of association word association yeah yeah <laughs> well, this is so the opposite it's like deeply deeply relational um yeah this this gift that i never experienced i never expected to receive really um i didn't know that that was what i was going to receive really and um mm. It's that's that's the piece that I feel unfortunately is is being um, cut out and lost a lot as this tradition is is being kind of decontext as as the medicines are being decontextualized and brought to the West. I have I have such grief mm. because folks do not know what's being left behind. Mm. Yeah, I feel tears actually. Yeah, they don't know. Like that that is the medicine that we need as Westerners. Um, it's the relationship. It's not the peak experience. It's not the lightning flash of, of ecstasy that will be gone, you know, next time you get in a fight with your partner or whatever. You get. Mm. It's like it's the relationship and the, the skill in building relationship and the, the feeding that soil of relationship. Like that's what we've lost in the West. Mm. That is what we're seeing the consequences of in our culture and, you know, in this devastating ecological unraveling that's happening. Um, yeah. And that was so clear to me. I was like, wow, if we actually lived this way all the time, like what we're seeing taking place could not take place. It would not be possible, actually. That was Sky Sieli de Flor talking about her experience apprenticing in the Shapibo Curanderismo tradition of the Peruvian Amazon over four years. I love the depth of emotion that's in her voice there because that depth of emotion shows us just how powerful it can be to really feel yourself in relationship with plants as a herbalist or a plant person. And that word relationship has come up so many times again and again and again in every single interview that I've done here on Sacred Herbalism. Because to me, that is what Sacred Herbalism is about. It's about being in relationship with the plant world. 
And for Skye, she found a really tangible way, a real way to be in a relationship with the plant world in this Shipibo tradition. But it doesn't only exist in other cultures. You know, it is actually part of our human heritage to be in relationship with plants. In fact, we are always in relationship with plants, whether we are aware of it or not. Every breath we take is an in-breath of relationship through the oxygen the plants make for us. But being able to be in relationship with plants requires a shift in consciousness. It requires us to think differently about the world that we live in. It requires us to look at the world with an animist framework, seeing life as alive and taking ourselves out of the centre of everything. It requires us to experience plants as being capable of responding, of having agency, of expressing curiosity about us when we're curious about them and of responding to our intentions and our invitations. This might sound really wild, but actually it's also something that biological scientists and botany are starting to discover, that plants really do engage with their environment in an intelligent way. They're interacting with each other, offering each other nutrients through the mycelial network, sending chemical communications to each other about the insects that are around. You know, plants really do engage with their environment and it turns out that we are a part of that environment too. And so they can engage with us and they do. What's also just coming to mind as well is in the, the, the Celtic cosmology, uh, in the giving of a, of a herb, then it would always be given with a charm or an incantation or a ritual because mm. the herb wouldn't work if it was just given in the 3D. Here, take this three times a day. There had to be engagement from the person and mm. the person would have to sing that song of the plant or, or um, rub it three times and shine it in the moon or whatever it might be or to use particular language because the Celts believed that poetry was the gateway to the gods, that poetry mm. was so powerful the words that you use can shape the world so that in the words that you use you're you're inviting in the engagement you're not actually activating the plant you're activating yourself so that the plant can then engage with you you're crossing that realm so there was that mm. potency of your own presence uh, as well as you would also need to give uh what they called uh I guess in Anglo-Saxon terms, was a kenning. It was a um, coming up with another name for the herb, praise words. Oh, beauteous mother of herbs, mugwort, Una, queen of the bears. You are so potent. You are so strong. You are a sword of courage and strength. You would have to sing up the herb, not just say, okay, I'm going to take my mugwort now. Um, what is it? Six drops? Seven drops? Okay, six drops. Uh, <laughs> you'd have to engage with it and find a way of describing it and bring in the magic of the words to open the gateway into the other world. And then the herb could go, yeah, all right. Okay. Yeah, sure. Here I am. So if you've grown up in the West, then it can be really difficult to genuinely engage with this idea of plants being responsive and having agency and interacting with us, right? Like, we're all the same. We all have that inbuilt automatic response of like, oh, that's silly. 
But the language of sacredness doesn't have to come through as being something as outlandish as seeing visions and hearing voices. You know, starting to engage with sacredness in herbal medicine with the essence and the spirit of a plant can be as simple as really getting central with a plant, slowing down and listening to what you can discover through the gateway of your smell, your taste, your touch getting out of the mind and getting more into the experiential wisdom space. For those that don't just naturally, you know, pick up a herb and start having visions and hearing voices and then the sacred <laughs> is not accessible because they're like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, you know, which is actually probably the majority of herbalists as well. Like a large yeah, me number too. of people. Yeah, that that's not, that's not what, what happens, right? And so I'm just going to highlight the, the imminence of herbal medicines and the gateway, the portal that this that 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 they present into sacred space through a deeply embodied experience, and so this is through the sensuality of herbs, rather than just trying to transcend and speak to the hovering spirit of the archetypal yarrow or aloe vera that is behind all things, and what does it want to say for humanity? If that's you, great give thanks if that's not you which is the most herbalists that i've spoken to then get the aloe between your fingers and smush it and feel like what is the essence what is the spirit of aloe vera well mm. the spirit of aloe vera is there right between your fingers just as it's, it's slimy <laughs> yes it moves around feel that experience feel mm. what that feels like right that's that's the mucolages inside it. it's like okay that's just the mucolage it's not just the mucolages that's venus incarnate that's the mm. venusian principle that's the principle of succulence itself and succulence is not just a chemistry it's like juiciness it's it's right there in the sensual experience. It's there in the smell. It's there in the taste. Mm. It's there in the feel. And so the practice that I would recommend to herbalists in, in accessing a deeper experience of the sacred is to get really hands-on, to get really sensual, and to open up the gates to experience that smell and the taste, not intellectually, mm. just sensually. Allow that experience to possess you become possessed by the experience mm. of the aloe as get it between your toes <laughs> like you know like like and with all of those yeah. things a sensual embodied I, access of imminence yes. say, the path of herbal medicine should be this. a sensual one and it should be a deeply embodied one get tactile mm. get sensual it's basically just get into the bath with a whole lot of aloe vera and roll around in it that's your advice Do that absolutely <laughs> yes yes and if you want to know nettle Go and grasp the nettle. Okay, so if you've followed me so far and you're kind of with me that engaging with a sacred relationship with plants is actually really important in our work as herbalists because it's part of the deeper healing that our culture needs. It's part of the deeper healing that we can bring as herbalists, as people who've chosen to dedicate our lives to engaging with the plants of the world. It's part of the healing we can bring to the people who come to see us and to ourselves. It's our part of this ecological crisis of this mental health crisis so if you're with me that it's important then I think we're all curious and we're exploring how we actually do this 
because growing up in our culture we're not taught how to talk to plants I mean I definitely wasn't but some of us were Jimmy's given us some great advice there about getting really sensual and embodied and I think it's an amazing place to start and the other themes that have come through are ritual deep listening and making sure we have the right context to make sense of the experiences that we're having context is so important and by context i mean a kind of philosophical landscape or framework that we can use to make sense of our experiences of non-rational and non-ordinary states of consciousness whether these are psychedelic experiences or really simple experiences in our gardens of communicating with our plants now without context our experiences of the sacred are unmoored in our psyche they kind of bang around and they fail to land they fail to integrate they fail to take root in our lives in ways that lead to tangible change i studied with the shipibo but i'm not shipibo i will never be shipibo um and so what i found is this kind of lens of deep ecology with systems theory and guy and science and um, deep time of, of um, Brian Thomas Swim and the deep ecology, all of those those things move together and they create, I guess, a, a living earth cosmology and language mm-hmm. that is animist and relational and all, you know, so many of the things that I experienced in the jungle, but without, you know, appropriating the shape and the words of someone else's tradition. That was Sky talking about how she started off finding context in the Shipibo culture of the Amazon and then later found context that felt more appropriate to her and also made more sense to her Western mind in deep ecology. And I think that when we're looking for a way to understand our sacred experiences, we shouldn't be afraid of being rigorous and questioning the things that we are finding, of using our intellect as well as our hearts to understand this world of sacredness. Well, when asked for a definition of deep ecology, Arnie Ness's answer was asking deeper questions. And I think he was referring to questions like that one you just asked about uh, what might the plants um, be wanting from us. And, you know, I I think that um, if herbalists uh, were um, able to um, really have the humility to become small enough to be able to hear what the plants have to say um, that might, you know, be part of that, the answer to that question. But how do we actually hear what the plants have to say? This is something I'm really exploring myself at the moment. And it seems to come down to a kind of deep listening, to a kind of regular practice of exploring what communicating with plants, or rather exploring what being receptive enough to hear the communication the plants are giving us and the world around them all the time might look like. I believe that our notion of listening is really small because we tend to have this idea that we listen with our our ears. We also hear through our bones. And I, I spent two years doing bone listening or sharpening the way bones respond to frequency resonance and to be able to bring in a greater balance of what I'm hearing and also that ties in with what I'm seeing. And it taught me so much around 
how we listen with our whole body, that we listen with our bones and that our bones hold memory and sound and knowing in a different way from my ears and when I listen with my, my, my blood or my skin because they're breathing in their own way, then I get different information. And my, diff- my mood, uh, my emotional state affects what I'm perceiving and hearing as well. So if I'm listening with a plant, then I'll go out at different times because where I'm at in myself will create filters. So coming back to your fabulous question, it's, it's a whole body listening through psyche and through intuition and through our senses. Nature communicates through emotion and through smell and touch and skin and the the porosity of skin and of our field and bringing us into I think it's um the Basque people talk about 137 senses that they can easily name and it's about awakening those yes so you might not have 137 senses that you can name, but we have at least five. And I think that the invitation that both Jimmy and Jackie have made here is to really use your senses, get it really embodied to engage with the way that plants communicate with us. And I think that's so beautiful. It's such a practical gateway into the sacred. But another really important gateway is ritual. And this is something that humans have done since time immemorial. We've used ritual practices to connect us to ourselves, to our communities, to the living world around us, and also to plants. So in my mind, there are two main kinds of rituals when we're talking about sacred herbalism. There are rituals where we are creating a space of reverence and gratitude for a particular plant in the desire that we can be in right relationship with that plant and open a gateway with that particular being for communication or for healing. And so we talked about, you know, the tobacco as a spirit, tobacco as a being, tobacco as a, um, as a being that this person has been in relationship to. And, um, and like any relationship that is not serving someone, there can be, you know, there's, um, there's ways to write that relationship. So we talked about uh, creating a dialogue with the tobacco for this client and we took it one step further and we talked about creating a ritual with this client to engage with the tobacco and so they did in their own time, in their own private um, time, they created a space of reverence and ritual with fire and, um, and a dialogue opened up where the client, um, you know, spoke to the tobacco and offered it, you know, and this was sort of all planned beforehand, you know, we offered it, offered it acknowledgement, offered it gratitude for its presence, for its potency, for its medicine. And then also, um, you know, asked for its support in playing a different role mm-hmm. um, in this person's life. Um, and, you know, and I guess for me that kind of comes off of sort of internal family systems and sort of parts work. We, we often re-roll these parts that are, um, you know, not serving us in a good way. So we don't try and get rid of them and say, oh, you're bad, go away. It's like, okay, how can you serve me? in a different way um and so this client did that with the with the tobacco and um gave it an offering 
as well. We offered it, offered, sorry, my client offered, um, uh, I don't know what they offered, but it gave the, gave the tobacco an offering and, and um, you know, asked for it to work more in service and more in alignment to the person's balance. And it's safe to say that the person has not been smoking since. So these kinds of reverence rituals can actually be really powerful. And the other kind of ritual that we can use to deepen our experience of sacredness and sacred herbalism is the kind of ritual that helps us to realign ourselves with the natural cycles of the earth, that help us to remember that we are deeply embedded and entangled in life, that we are part of life. The things is so important for us as a culture, as a species in this time. Well, a couple of years after I um, met Joanna Macy and this whole wheel started turning, I found myself um, as a witness to an Indigenous ceremony taking place on a mesa in the southwest of the United States, some Hopi people, and um, there were hundreds of people, the entire community, participating in this ceremony, um, and just a handful of us outsiders who were watching, and to my shock, I saw that they were doing the Council of All Beings, which I thought that Joanna and I had invented a couple of years before and which they assured me they'd been doing continuously for 10,000 years without a break. And as I explored it further, I found that I couldn't locate a single example of an Indigenous community that still had its uh, ritual and ceremonial life intact that didn't have ceremonies that allowed the human community to regularly remember and honour um, all, all our relations, the, the, the more than human world, and to remember that our normal social identity rested upon this uh, extraordinary root of um, ecological, uh, that we are one strand in the web of life and not the spider in the middle. And um, so when I think about that and I think that, you know, the Council of All Beings, we, Joanna and I, probably plucked it from the same place that these Indigenous people plucked it from 10,000 years ago or, or whenever it was, that there, is, uh, that there are certain things which human beings need in order to remain in correct relationship with the earth that, I mean, you don't find um, other animals doing these ceremonies or rituals. It's got something to do with... Um, this big bulge over our nose, I think, that, uh, um, you know, it's only a few hundred thousand years really, but that um, it's it's not just a modern phenomenon, this uh, mm. tendency to separate from the natural world, but all cultures have, or all existing cultures, all cultures that have survived, have found a way to correct for the drift, mm. the tendency to drift away into um, human arrogance or human superiority um, and uh, we're the first culture perhaps in hundreds of thousands of years that in you know uh, have dared to imagine that these things are merely empty ritual or mumbo jumbo and um, and have dispensed with them and perhaps the ruin that we see taking place around us is a result of that and so now I think not so much of um, community therapy as a kind of a cultural reclamation project. 
So there you have it. My hope is that this podcast over the last 12 months has been a small step towards the cultural reclamation process of the herbal medicine community in Australia, reclaiming the power and the beauty of the sacred in the way that we walk with plants, the way that we work with plants and the way we talk about plants. Thank you so much for being here and I really want to hear from you. I want to hear what themes and topics and questions you want to explore in this space. What's ahead of us for the next 12 months? And let's keep exploring together because ultimately... In my heart, you know, I have this sense that all is sacred. That's it for this moon cycle. Thanks for joining me in another layer of this fascinating conversation we are having about the role of the sacred in our lives as herbalists. If you know someone who would love this episode, then send it through to them, as our work strengthening our herbal community through grassroots herbal education starts right here. I'll see you next time the moon is round in the sky, and until then, I wish you good health and many plants.